0: Welcome to Football Outsiders Live. I am your host, Aaron Schatz. We are coming at you live on Twitch exclusively every Monday at one o'clock Eastern time to review weekend games and preview Monday Night Football. So we're going to be broadcasting live every day during the week, 1 p.m. live every weekday. All of our shows will be available afterwards on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app under the title football outsiders podcast network with me today to review the week two nfl slate of games is ian o'connor senior data analyst at edge sports ian how did your teams do this weekend
1: one for two so far i got a little bit of a kind of a weird set of teams with the browns one got that first win after the, the letdown last week against the chiefs kind of blowing that game a little bit but it's the chiefs so can't be too mad they got the packers going tonight hopefully uh, aaron Rodgers can turn things around Hopefully the whole team can can look even a little bit better than last week, because that was just a, a dreadful experience.
0: I have a feeling playing Detroit. It's not going to be too difficult.
1: I hope so. I know on our, our podcast did earlier, we talked about how it seems like you got to talking like Aaron, Aaron Jones seems to shred the Lions. and got to think about it. Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers seems like they just always put up some crazy numbers against the Lions. So a good way to get on track.
0: Uh, we'll talk more about that in a little bit but before we dive right into recapping the biggest plays from week two and the most impactful plays from week two i want to remind everyone you can join us live for these shows on twitch you can ask questions to me ian any of the other football outsiders hosts and guests throughout the week if you join us live you want to be here live on twitch for the chat room also Be sure if you are joining us live on Twitch to click that subscribe button to make sure you get show alerts. And if you're listening to us afterwards, please make sure to subscribe to the Football Outsiders podcast network on your favorite podcast app. Please rate us so other people can help find the shows. We're going to have great football content coming your way every day. And if you subscribe to us, you will not miss a thing. Now, with that out of the way, let us pull into a week two recap. All right. We started the week with another exciting finish to Thursday Night Football. Uh, my notes say, uh, say it's not was not a good game, but I actually think it was a pretty good game. Just because it's the NFC East does not mean we should write these things off as bad games. I thought it was a good game. It was exciting. It was close the whole way. It had... Uh, interesting decisions it had you know plays that just missed like that deep shot to Darius Slayton and it was a good finish so Ian what were some of the things that edge sports saw in the Thursday night Giants
1: Washington game yeah it wasn't necessarily the best football like you said um, but you know still it was a good game it was an entertaining game it was a lot of fun Uh, but yeah coach Rivera Ron Rivera had one of our best play calls of the week coming into the second quarter actually um, after struggling a bit last week, he called, uh, decided to go for it on fourth and one from the Giants' 39-yard line instead of kicking the field goal. Um, they were down 7 nothing at the time. This was the correct decision. It added about 5% in win probability prior to the snap, which is a pretty good amount for a, a first-half decision. Um, they converted on the play as well. And then later in the game, Washington actually had our third most impactful play of the week. If it wasn't for uh, the top two plays, which we'll get to later, a lot of weeks, this would be the top decision um, of the week at a 46.3% decrease on Taylor Heineke's interception late in the game with 222 left. Um, they were up by one. The Giants ended up playing that, it seemed, pretty conservatively. Didn't, didn't really seem like they were going for a touchdown, which was a bit surprising to me, but as far as the numbers go, there was a 46.3% uh, loss and win probability for the Washington football team.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was a huge interception for Heineke, and I think he showed by coming back on the next drive what we call technically in the analytics community, balls of steel. Uh, It was really good. You know, Heineke is interesting because you don't have high expectations for an undrafted quarterback who's bounced around five different practice squads. But this is now the third good game that Taylor Heineke has had as the starter for Washington. He has a 12% passing DVOA over three games, including week 17 of last year. Uh, It's actually four games because week 17 of last year, the playoff game, and then the the little bit that he played in week one and then week two of this year. One of the hardest things to figure out is when you stop thinking of new players as new players. Like at what point, like how many games of Taylor Heineke doing this, Does it take before we decide this is his true level of play and we shouldn't decrease Washington, for example, like in our playoff odds report, you know, because they're using a backup quarterback. I mean, to give an example that Washington fans will understand Kyle Allen, when he was with Carolina, he's now Washington's backup. Uh, But he was really hot too in his first three games. And then he cooled down substantially. So, like you don't want to make the call too early that Heineke is really good, but you know that he's uh, you know, that he seems to be better than what your expectations would be for an undrafted quarterback. So I think yep. that's sort of an interesting question going forward for Washington.
1: Yeah. And he's looked really good. Like you said, in four games, his first four starts, um, especially in that, kind of in the big moments you'd think, you know, in the playoff game, um, he might crumble, but he, took the, the Bucks basically to the brink in that one. It gave them a little bit of a scare there towards the end. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like you said, how he continues. He can keep that he, up.
0: He's definitely been helped by his receivers because he's been a bit inaccurate, but his receivers have shown, you know, good catch radius. Tara McLaurin, of course, is awesome. So, yep.
1: And uh, he had the awesome touchdown run against the Bucs, that, that Superman diving. Oh, that Heineke ball. had. Yeah, yes. that was fantastic. Yes.
0: All right. So that was Thursday night now let's talk about Sunday night. We're doing all the island games here. Last night, AFC, heavyweight bout, Chiefs and Ravens did not disappoint. Totally awesome. 36-35, an easy over, covered the over by midway through the third quarter. Mahomes and Jackson just traded blows on offense back and forth. This game had a ton of highlight plays. What stood out to you, Chiefs and Ravens?
1: Yeah, this one was It was just extremely exciting, fun to watch. Anytime you get Mahomes and Lamar Jackson on the field together. Um, We actually had Baltimore um, as a very slight favorite. As far as the spread goes, we had it as a pick but we had Baltimore at 52% just prior to the game. Uh, So they were able to pull that one out. But in this one, obviously, the big – before we get to the big decision by John Harbaugh, right before that was the second biggest play of the weekend. It was the Chiefs down by one driving a minute 24 left in the game. Looks like Mahomes is going to do classic Mahomes, take them down the field, um, go for that game-winning field goal. They're down one. But then Clyde Edwards-Alaire, two yards behind line of scrimmage, fumbles, loses possession, the Ravens recover. Huge, huge turning point, obviously. I mean, you don't have to be a a football person or an analytics person to know that. But it costs Kansas City almost 71% at 70.7% of their win probability. This was our second most impactful play of the week, like I mentioned. And they had a chance uh, coming up here later. Uh, Baltimore, like I said, got the ball back, trying to use up as much clock as possible, run it out. They got stopped at a fourth and one with 105 remaining. So in my mind watching this, I didn't think there was really any doubt Harbaugh was going to go for it. Uh, He asked Lamar. Lamar wanted to do the same thing. Um, The relationship, those guys, the trust they have in each other. I know we have the video from a couple of years ago where, where uh, Lamar was like, coach, let's go for it. Come on. They went for it. They did it against, I think it was Seattle. Um, but that decision to keep them on the field, even the broadcasters, you know, were, were kind of skeptical. It seems like a lot of times they are. Um, but this one was a 16.4% increase in the pre-snap win probability, uh, which is our largest of the season. So far, only two weeks, the largest of the season. And so that was really awesome to see. And as we all know, Baltimore converted, uh, went on to uh, run the clock out and win that game. Lamar got his, his first win against Mahomes and the Chiefs.
0: Yeah, that is going to end up being one of the strongest decisions of the year. I don't think you get a lot of coaching decisions that are higher than 15% over the course of a season.
1: No, last year, I think um, Andy Reid also in week two had our highest of the year at 20.2, 20.21. We only had two decisions um, that really came close to it last year. So that one could end up um, standing the test of time over the season. But at the same time, we've seen coaches getting more and more aggressive. But I wouldn't be surprised if that one stayed number one for the whole season.
0: It reminds me of the fourth and two, the famous fourth and two by the Patriots against the Indianapolis Colts back in, what was that? 2009, I think. Yep. Um, and I think we talk about, it's really shown the way that how we talk about fourth downs has changed over the last dozen years that they kind of questioned Harbaugh going for it, but they totally understood the idea of why he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and they even showed some numbers from next gen stats afterwards, like not in the moment they didn't show those numbers, but they came back from commercial break at the end of the game and they showed the numbers. So, like, it just shows how we're all a little bit more conversant with the idea of fourth down aggressiveness now compared to a dozen years ago when those of us who thought that Bill Belichick made the right decision. What was essentially the same decision, the essentially decision was, let's end the game now, rather than giving the ball back to this ultra hot quarterback, Yep, got lambasted as like the worst decision any coach had ever made. Uh Things have changed a lot in a dozen years.
1: Yeah. And like I said, uh, you know, at the beginning there, we had Baltimore slightly favored. So so our numbers were a little bit higher than those next gen stats. They were pretty close, but. Um, just because we're higher on Baltimore, we had had them a little bit uh, greater as far as going for it, um, and even on the punt, still a little bit higher. But yeah, it was cool to see. It's cool to see all that stuff kind of becoming more mainstream, if you will, and, and actually being shown on the broadcast. And a red zone throughout the day would have their next gen stats when probability popped up popped up there on the screen at, at some important junctures of the games.
0: And I'll, I'll point out <clears throat> that by DVOA, this was a wrong team wins game. Mm-hmm. So Kansas City actually had the higher DVOA for the game, 19% to 8%. And Kansas City was particularly dominant in the passing game. Their running game was terrible, but their passing game was absolutely fantastic. I mean, um, when, first of all, Kelsey is Kelsey. So, I mean, what say, breaking tackles, going something like 40 yards for a touchdown, but then, When Byron Pringle is weaving through all your defenders and scoring, you know that the passing game is completely on point in that game. And that was a great play. And uh, last week in the DVOA article, I introduced this idea of post-game win expectancy, which is based on certain DVOA splits, how often would you expect? each team to win the game. And based on the actual performance of DVOA in this game, you would actually only expect Baltimore to win 26% of the time. Yeah. And that that doesn't really surprise me. (laughs) It definitely was like, but it also, here's the thing. It shows how making smart coaching decisions can overcome uh, discrepancies like that. Mm -hmm. Like the other team may play better on a play-by-play basis. But if you make the right coaching decisions and you go at the right fourth downs, you can win that game.
1: Yeah. And we mentioned this, like I said, on our podcast we did this morning as well, our, our edge sports podcast, that it's just, it was cool to see too, the way um, Lamar, you know, the pick six on the first drive of the game, It comes back and a couple of different times in the game, they w- they got down 11, the second half, the Chiefs scored, it was the Byron Pringle, I mistakenly said to Marcus Robinson earlier, but then Um, Travis Kelsey, both of them catching it in midfield, kind of hitting that left side with blockers. Um, It just kind of seemed like the Chiefs were going to run away with it both times. But Baltimore hung tough and made the plays they needed to. And then, like you said, making the decision at the end. That's how you win games. It strikes me. I mean, the
0: way people talk about Kansas City really drives me a little nuts. And it drove me so nuts last year that I fell for it. The idea that Kansas City is unbeatable, that basically they're just lying in wait to come back against you, or they are taking a big lead and letting you fritter it away because they take their foot off the gas. Kansas City is a very, very good team. They are not unbeatable. Nobody in the NFL is unbeatable. I mean, frankly, the 1972 Dolphins were not unbeatable. It just happens that they didn't lose a game. But if you played another 14 games, the likelihood that they would go 14-0 in those games was very tiny. Yeah, Like you need a ton of luck to go undefeated and teams are all beatable in the NFL. Nobody is unbeatable and people need to stop talking about the Kansas city chiefs like that. They're going to lose a couple games this year. They may not win the super bowl. Like, do you want to argue that Kansas city is the best team in the league? Okay, sure. Uh, I think other people would say Tampa Bay. I would probably say Tampa Bay at this point because Tampa Bay is a much better, more well-rounded team. But if you want to say Kansas City is the favorite to win the whole thing, that's totally cool. But yep. the idea that they're unbeatable is just – it's its superfluous hyperbole, to use two long words.
1: And that's kind of the way it goes, in, as we see in single elimination. Uh, formats with playoffs, like going back to the, the Giants, the two years they won, I don't think anyone thought they were the best team in the league that year, uh, beating the Patriots – speaking of the undefeated Patriots in one sure. of those years. But it's just – Said you can have a team that's the best team, which is probably the Chiefs or, or the, the Bucks, but there's no guarantee they're going to gonna make it all the way and then win the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I completely agree.
0: And I want to remind uh, everybody, if you are watching us on Twitch live, please feel free to ask questions in the chat if you want to ask about DVOA or any of the games from this week. We're here to answer your questions, but let's talk about most impactful plays of the week. We covered a couple of those already. For our audience, these are the plays that have the most impact on each game in terms of win probability, either positive or negative. So, Ian, let's go over the top five most impactful plays of week two.
1: Yeah, so starting with number five, Colts and the Rams. Colts were down 27-24, three points late in the game. At this point, Carson Wentz is out. We've got Jacob Eason in. Um, I think this was the – The second or first interception, sorry, two second and 10 on Indy's 25, only two minutes, 19 seconds left. The Colts have no timeouts left. They're kind of in desperation mode here to get down the field. Easton's pass is intercepted up near midfield uh, by Jalen Ramsey. That dropped them from 27.1% chance to win down to 0.6. So that's a a 26.5% drop. And one thing to note on these is we, you said positive or negative, we always look at it from the offensive perspective since they start with the ball, make the decision, they make the play. Um, so this is a negative, or this is a drop, which is a negative uh, change for the Colts there. Um, coming in at number four, this is a game we're going to see a lot later on when it comes to our decisions. They've actually got two in this, this sequence here of impactful plays is the Vikings against the Cardinals. Vikings were down one fourth quarter, um, coming up third and 10, coming up on midfield, or just across midfield, sorry, at the Arizona 48 with only a minute 21 left. Kirk Cousins hits uh, Adam Thielen for a big 12-yard gain, extends the drive. Again, they were going to have to go for it anyway. Or if they got close, no Zimmer, uh, which is a little bit of foreshadowing here, they may have attempted a very long field goal for the win on fourth down.
0: But that one was a
1: 26.8% increase in uh, win probability for the Vikings. So just nudging out the Colts there for number four. Um, coming in number three was Washington – or I'm sorry. Um, yes, the Washington football team, the play we mentioned – Tyler Taylor Heineke's pass intercepted won't really get too much into that one again um we know the Giants ended up uh kicking the field goal but after that interception Washington dropped from 78.9 down to 32.6 so 46.3 percent um like I said there are some weeks that would could be our top decision a lot of times it's it's in that mid to upper 40s into the 50s but because of our, these top, top our top
0: impactful play since that was that Correct. was not a decision well I mean it was a decision I guess to throw the pass but
1: right yeah yeah so the, the play so that one comes in at number three and then at number two we talked about you can uh, can probably uh, know what's coming here the Chiefs down one the Clyde edwards helaire fumble just was an absolute heartbreaker for Chiefs fans uh, it was second down said so they were they were driving down for a game-winning field goal if knowing the Chiefs they may have had a short pass, like we said, that they broke for, for 30 yards for a touchdown to win it, but but that fumble there, recovered by Baltimore, dropped them from 78.9 all the way down below 10% to 8.2, so that was 70.7%, that's the largest non-kicking GWC or win probability change of the season so far, the young season, only two weeks, but second only to the Vikings, and we brought this up, you know, this is uh, uh, going to bring back some bad memories for Vikings fans, but shades of Blair Wash here, stakes weren't as high, but down one, uh, first and 10, you know, four seconds left. They're at the 19, just four yards longer than an extra point. And Greg Joseph uh, misses the 37 yard field goal. The Vikings were at a 90.1% chance to win the game prior to that field goal. Uh, like I said, just a little bit further than an extra point and uh, missed it, dropped him down, obviously, to zero. So that's a drop of 90.1% for number one of the week and of the young season.
0: Yeah, uh, poor Vikings fans, just uh, an entire franchise history of bad kicking. It's not, oh, uh, if Phil Baggin says it's not looking so good for the Vikings, wait until we get to coaching decisions. So.
1: Yeah, I don't think Vikings fans are very happy with their team or their coach from what I've seen, from what I've seen last night and this morning.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, the Vikings, there were so many things pointing towards positive regression from them this year. And then just so many things have gone wrong from, you know, health. And I'm not even talking about injuries. I'm talking about health like with COVID to Mm -hmm. just disagreements with the coach to bad coaching decisions, to close losses. It's been, a bit of a mess. The Vikings have the highest DVOA of any 0 and 2 team. In fact, the Vikings are above zero. They're slightly above zero. Um, but just so they were really, one of the teams. Uh, sorry, what?
1: They'll say they were one of the teams, I believe, in the uh, post game win expectancy, or the Bengals at least, year? that one that were pretty low last week.
0: Yeah. And, and, um, And there are actually 20 teams above zero because the teams that have been really bad this year have been really, really bad. So there's actually 20 teams above zero and only 12 below. But Minnesota is one of the teams that's above. And if we are going to talk about them, let's talk about, well, we're not going to talk about them yet because we're going to talk about good coaching decisions. These are the best coaching decisions from week two. These are the decisions that have the most positive impact on each game in terms of win probability. So let's start with number five on the biggest coaching decisions of the week.
1: Yeah, and it's important to note on these, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, that this is win probability increased prior to the snap. So at the point of decision, um, and this is what we call critical calls. So it's going to be on our fourth downs, um, deciding to punt to kick a field goal to go for it. Um, Extra points onside kick versus kickoff. Most of these are going to be fourth downs, um, but it is important to note that it is just the decision and looking at, at a, a play call decision instead of saying, oh, he should have run this player versus this player thrown here. We're not looking at that kind of stuff. Um, so coming in at number five, we've got Bruce Arians, who we talked about earlier this morning, um, and we've talked about in the past. I know Frank, uh, our co-founder here at Edge Sports, um, have talked about leading up to the Super Bowl last year is that Bruce Arians is – Hit or miss when it comes to his fourth down decisions. It seems like John Gruden was that way for a while, which we'll get to him um, coming up here soon as well. But the Buccaneers were leading 28-25. The Falcons made it made a comeback. I don't know if I'd call it a furious comeback, but they made a comeback to get within three uh, down right at the end of the third quarter, 29 seconds left. And Tampa Bay faced fourth and one at their own 41. This was just after the Falcons had, had, had scored to cut it to three, I believe. And, and Arians gave it to, to Ronald Jones, um, who was out of the doghouse this weekend, it looked like. Um, and that one was a pre-snap increase of 4.7%. Tampa Bay, I would say, converted that and gained another about 3% and went on to win this game pretty handily with some help from the defense later on. But that was number five at a 4.7% increase in pre-snap win probability. And then coming in at number four is our friend Frank Reich, who's always – Seems like he's on this list of best decisions every single week. He's always near the top of our uh, edge sports coach rankings Um, at the end of every season. Top three, it seems like first drive of the game, Colts drive down. They have first and goal at the one. They get stopped on first down, stopped on second down, stopped on third down, still have fourth and one. Seems like pretty much every coach these days is going to go for it here. Uh, like We've we've talked about unless it's late in the game, you know, less than a minute, all you need is a field goal. Uh, But throughout the game, Every coach, it seems like, goes for this and should go for it. Um, this one, unfortunately, didn't go well for the Colts. Carson Wentz was sacked all the way back at the 10-yard line, but the decision to go for it was correct. So one thing we say a lot here is, is uh, it's about the process, not necessarily the results. If you follow the right process, more often than not, you're going to get a good result um, in the end, especially over the course of a game. But this one was a 4.8% increase in pre-snap win probability for the Colts. Coming in at number four, and then at number three, we talked about uh, Washington football team down 7 nothing to the Giants early in the second quarter. This was a 5-percenter. Um, so it was an increase of 5% pre-snap win probability by going for it. And that number three and number four there, both I mentioned, are in the first and second quarter, early in the second quarter, midway through the first. To see numbers around 5% in the the first half of a game is a pretty strong decision. Typically, even on an opening drive, the most you can really get is – is about three to three and a half percent. Um, so to see five percenters there uh, early in the game is is a, a pretty strong indication of, of them going for it and that they should go for it. Number two, like I mentioned, John Gruden. So the Raiders, he's been hit or miss, but over the last couple of years, it seems like he's kind of come along to this fourth down, whether he says it's just his gut or not. Um, maybe he's, I'm sure he's heard all the rumblings of, of analytics and this and that. Not sure he's a huge fan but it seems like he's at least listening to some of it or or it's gotten to him now. They were trailing seven to six early in the game. This was at the end of the second quarter had fourth and one at the Pittsburgh eight. So I think more often now you would see coaches still go for this, like he did, but a lot of coaches, I still feel like we see that would take a field goal here, um, go up nine, seven coming back. They, the Raiders got the ball, come back in the second half may just want to go for that double dip and, and just take the, Take the points, you know, the free points, although no, as we know from Minnesota, we just talked about no field goal is a given. Um, but the fact that they went for it was a, was an awesome decision. Derek Carr ended up converting it. They ended up falling back to, I think, third and goal, like 22 and getting a field goal anyway, but they burned some clock down. Pittsburgh wasn't able to answer before the half. But this decision increased the Raiders pre-snap win probability by 5.3%, uh, put them just over 50% at around 52 at the time. And then number one, we talked about it. So we won't get too deep into it here in this segment, but John Harbaugh with the, the just a great decision to go ahead and and close the game out, put the ball uh, in the hands of your playmakers, your best player, arguably the best player on the field last night seems like at least for the Ravens, but Mahomes is always great, but Lamar did everything he could just put the team on his back. And this decision we said was a 16.4% increase in pre-snap win probability. Um, took them up to 89, they converted. Obviously they won 99.9, 100%, whatever you want to call it at that point. Um, there is still that slight chance, but John Harbaugh tops the list for week two and for the season.
0: So uh, yeah, the, the Gruden one is interesting because uh, you know we're judging by pre-snap win probability, not what happens on the play or what happens after the play. So they converted the, with the quarterback sneak and then... Uh, They jumped off uh, with a false start. Then they had a touchdown pass uh, eliminated by an offensive holding. Then they lost another five yards with an ineligible downfield pass penalty. And they ended up on third and goal from the 22 kicking a field goal. So, you know, just because you make the right decision doesn't mean things work out for you. Um, Right. Useful title says, I am just waiting to see if Nick Sirianni shows up on the bad coaching decisions list. Well, let's do the bad coaching decisions list and
1: let's find out. Yeah. So the, the worst decisions, again, same, pretty much the opposite of the best, obviously best worst, but it's fourth down decisions where either our model recommended they go for it and they kicked the a field goal or punted, or our model sometimes does recommend people this might be a shock to some people, especially those of us that follow us on Twitter, follow our social media, but it can be the model recommends a field goal or a punt and they go for it. So this week we've got pretty much we've got the one game. Same
0: picture three times right there, Ian. I What's that? I'm noticing the same picture showing up three times. And thank you to Jimmy jg 360 for following us on Twitch. Uh, I noticed one coach showing up three times on this
1: list. Yeah, it was a, a bit of a rough day at the office for uh for our friend Mike Zimmer. Uh, we we're talking about the the you could say the field goal kicker let him down, but in reality, Zimmer really really kind of botched this whole game. I know we we talked about um, again on our podcast earlier, covered kind of seeing the reports coming out that Mike Zimmer said he thought the field goal was an easy one, should have made it. These decisions for him were easy ones; he did not make it. So. Coming in at number five, Vikings leading 20-14, to sitting there at uh, their own 34. First half still, second quarter, uh, just under the two-minute warning at a minute 54 left. They faced fourth and one and decided to punt. Decision cost them 4.7% win probability pre-snap. And there's a couple of these on this list that we're probably going to have. Some people are going to disagree with. Um, We have it every year, pretty much every week, there are decisions that People just underestimate your ability and team's abilities to convert fourth downs, um, especially fourth and ones. We'll get to some, four, some that are a little bit longer, but a fourth and one, Minnesota 34. You've got Dalvin Cook. I mean, he, if he can't get a yard, I, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what, what to do other than, you know, if he can't get that yard, but he's one of the best running backs. More often than not, he's going to get that yard. And we get people even that say, you know, when it comes to the Steelers, which we'll get to, you know, there are people say their their offensive line's terrible or whatever team, their offensive line, we can't run the ball, they've been stopping us. You don't have to run the ball on fourth down. We've seen plenty of teams pass it. The Chiefs did it against yeah, the Browns I've, last night. I've year. seen
0: the Steelers run short crossing patterns. I don't know if anybody watches the Steelers, but they do run a lot of short crossing patterns. You can do that on fourth and one.
1: Yep. And the Chiefs last night had the one um, looked somewhat similar to what they ran against the Browns in the playoffs last year, where it was a third down, but kind of had uh, Travis Kelsey just right out in the flat and hit him, and he was able to get 10 yards. So said, you don't have to run. Um, but kind of got got myself away from the point there. But still, it it was a decision um, that cost him 47 almost 5%, again, in the second quarter. That's a pretty big decision there. So we're going to switch these teams here and go Cardinals are the next one at number four, Cliff Kingsbury, who has been very good. He was actually had two of our worst decisions of the season last year, but they came in the same game. If you pull out those two decisions, he finishes, I think, in the top two or three in our head coach rankings. Um, But, I mean, he made the decision. So this week they were leading. The Cardinals were up 34-33. They were at home against Minnesota. Fourth and nine at their own 40 with 221 left. Each team had a timeout left. This one was 4.9%. This is one where folks probably we're going to have some dissent here and people not not agreeing with it. But with an offense like the Cardinals – you know, you put the hands, put the ball in the hands of your, your best players. If you punt, you're giving it up. you fail, you're giving it up. But in one of those situations, you've got a better shot at getting the ball back. Uh, this game was a pretty big shootout. But at fourth and nine, the Arizona four, you know, you're nearing midfield. If you don't get it and the Vikings do score, you still have the two-minute warning and a timeout. Chances are you're going to get the ball back. Um, even if the Vikings get a field goal, you're down two. All you need is a field goal to win. Even if they get a touchdown, um, if they go for two, which they, they should at that point to make it a seven point game, you still have a chance to answer and tie. You'll probably have a little bit uh, good amount of time left. So that came in at number two. That was a 4.9% uh, decrease in pre-snap win probability. Number three is one that uh, a lot of people were talking about. And I'm sure, sure you remember this one. Um, Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh down nine, eight and a half minutes up. Still some time, but it's fourth quarter down nine. Two-score game, it's a fourth and one. Again, no matter how bad their offensive line is, it's it's a clear go to go for it here. You need one yard, you're down two scores, you're running out of time. And this one cost them 5.6% in pre-snap win probability. Now, it comes in at number three. You could probably make a case that this is the actual worst decision of the week if we're not looking purely at the win probability decrease because they only had 133 percent win probability if they went for it so that's over a third of their available win probability at that time so I don't know what he was thinking if he pretty much was just throwing in throwing in the terrible towel at that point and kind of I said I haven't really seen any of his comments from there uh, from that game the post game if it, I'm sure someone asked him about it I don't know if he addressed it but that that decision just, Again, I don't really even know how to explain that one, what he did, but yeah. Yep. Five got to go for The fourth and ones like that. Yeah. Especially with his play. Like you've got Big Ben, you've got losing, And
0: again, you know, you can run short crossing patterns. Like you don't have to run the ball.
1: Yeah. You've got playmakers on that team. So um, that one is, 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 we're not always a go on fourth and one, but that one definitely was. Coming back to Mike Zimmer again for the Vikings. Uh, third quarter, 629 left down by one this time they had a fourth and one at their own 40, a little bit closer to midfield than the last time, getting later into the game, still trailing, chose to punt again. Um, So just another to the list of his errors from yesterday that that we'll get to. I'll kind of give you that total here in a minute, and and you all will probably – maybe not, but you'll probably be surprised at how high this number is. But this one cost him 5.8%, almost 6% there in the third quarter. And we'll kind of just move on to number one quickly because it's him again. 33-34, Vikings are trailing by one. Vikings do still have three timeouts at this point, but fourth and six at their own 29 with less than three minutes left in the game. Kind of like we talked about, or like I mentioned on the Cardinals one, where if you don't get it, Arizona's pretty close to the end zone. Um, If they're going to score, it's going to be pretty quick. Uh, They punted. It looked like Arizona played it a little bit conservatively. Kyler Murray helped them out by running out of bounds on the first play. I know they were probably wanting to score a touchdown as well. That one-point lead, can't be too comfortable with that late in the game, really, no matter who you're playing. Uh, but this one cost them 12.4% increased that win probability. That's two, over two times higher than what the largest error was from last week. So Zimmer said he's got four, three on the list here. He ended up having a total of seven errors for 28.7% Win probability loss prior to the snap, so that's over a quarter of a win that he just threw away by choosing to punt or kick field goals uh, when when going for it was the optimal decision to try and retain possession.
0: Yeah, the um, the Cardinals went three and out, but there was nothing that said they were going to go three and out, especially given the way their offense had been playing throughout the game. And, and yeah, Kyler Murray made a big mistake by running out of bounds. And then he took a sack on the second play, mm-hmm. but it very much could have gone differently. And all the Cardinals really needed was like one or two first downs and they would have iced the game. So, uh so that definitely is a mistake by Zimmer. No question yeah. about and, it.
1: Yeah. And on the number, I think it was, no one reveals the number two or the number one. It was one of the Vikings fourth and one, I think it was a thrown thirty-four. You know, even a lot of the people I saw on social media were hammered him for not going for it. Of course, I think two plays later, Kyler Murray throws the interception and and you've got people playing the results. Like, oh, they got the interception. There was no – like you said, there was no way to know the Cardinals are going to go three and out. There's no way to know that Arizona's going to, th- going to turn the ball over, especially the way that game went. There was just so much scoring in that game. And you turn it around. It didn't make our list of the best decisions. But the fourth and five that Arizona had in the game where – I think it was fourth and five at like the Minnesota forty, and Kyler just kind of threw up the threw up a heave that Christian Kirk came down with. It about the sixth was a huge play in that game. So it's just plays like that, um, like we mentioned with Harbaugh, the coaches that make the right decisions. Um, it's a huge advantage if you're a guy like Kingsbury or Harbaugh going against a guy like Zimmer or even Joe Judge, who I didn't mention um, earlier on Thursday. I had an error of his own on a fourth and two field goal from the five. So when you're going against coaches like that, it's just it's a huge huge advantage for for those guys.
0: And this is one where the Vikings lost the chance to steal one because it's interesting, despite all of the win probability that the Vikings left on the table, they did not have the higher DVOA for the game. The Cardinals were at plus 13%, the Vikings at minus 7%. So the Cardinals did outplay the Vikings to get the win, but the Vikings had a chance. If that field goal goes through at the end, for example, I mean, they had a chance to steal one here despite being outplayed and they lost that chance with not only the missed field goal, but the bad coaching decisions.
1: And speaking of there's, there's one more that I kind of want to talk about um, that was one of our, uh, more of a notable play. It didn't show up on our fourth down decisions, but it's what happened before the fourth down. I'm sure you saw this in the Houston Cleveland game. Um, That makes it so bad that the Texans had third and 15, got 13 yards, declined a penalty that would have made it third and 10 to make fourth and two. If you're gonna go for it, that's that's fine. You know, Houston, when I ran the numbers this morning, their win probability was like 0.2% higher by going for it on fourth and two. But then he turns around and punts, which cost him like three percent. So that was, I think, the most perplexing decision of the entire weekend.
0: Yeah, so perplexing that there's video of Kevin Stefanski shaking his head yeah. like, I have no idea what's going on right now. What what did David Culley just yeah. do? He has no idea.
1: Like, I'll take he just handed it to me, but I'll take it.
0: All right, that wraps up our worst decisions of the week. If you are interested in seeing more about these plays, make sure to check out the top five section on edgesports.com and read the risky business column by Frank Frigo, who highlighted the Sunday night football matchup with two of the better analytical play callers in the game this week. You can find Frank's risky business article on footballoutsiders.com or on edgesports.com. And now it's time to preview Monday night football with your Green Bay Packers favored by eleven and a half and points over somebody's Detroit Lions. Poor Sean O'Leary from Edge Sports, his unfortunate Detroit Lions. So let's talk about this. Interestingly, for the uh, ESPN best bets column, where I'm proud to say I am eight and two so far this year, I picked... Uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling over 37 and a half yards as my pick for this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Lions last year were 30th covering wide receiver ones and 28th covering wide receiver twos. And Devontae Adams only had 36 yards in the first game between these teams, but he had 115 and a touchdown in the second game. Valdez Scantling had 64 yards in the first game and 85 in the second game. So I mean, the, the Lions secondary, especially with Jeff Okuda, we thought, oh, Jeff Okuda will take a big step forward in his second year. Instead, Jeff Okuda, Okuda tore his Achilles in his second year, so he's out. So this seems like a real um, shootout-type game to me where the Packers will take an early lead and the Lions will go chasing it. And, and I think the Lions are going to score a lot of points. Their offensive line is underrated. They were fifth in pressure rate allowed last year, eighth in blown block rate, and the Packers are missing Zadarius Smith from their pass rush because he's injured, and he was by far the majority of their pass rush last year.
1: Yeah, Green Bay, Detroit, you know, last week Green Bay just absolutely laid an egg against, against the Saints. You know, we all know that. It was, was just an embarrassment pretty much, although Aaron Rodgers would say that he wouldn't use that word that, that his head coach Matt LaFleur used. But they didn't look good Detroit getting blown out early last week. That one looked to be over in the first half. They ended up coming back and actually covered the closing uh, nine and a half point line there uh, with a two point conversion late that took them to eight points. So a lot of yeah, that was an awesome,
0: wonderful backdoor cover. That was one of the great backdoor covers.
1: So that one. So like I said, like you said, expecting some points here, Uh, Detroit, a little bit underrated, but what we've got, like you mentioned, the market is sitting at 11 and a half right now in favor of green Bay. We've actually got this. Our edge fair value has this spread closer to eight points in favor of Green Bay. Obviously, we still like Green Bay. We still think they're the better team. Um, Even after last week, you know, that that we expect them to bounce back from that. We've got them at 75% to win straight up, Detroit at only 25%. Compared to the market, though, there is a little bit of value to be had in Detroit. Uh, The market was around. I think it was about 19% last time I checked. We're at 25. So there's a six percent difference uh, as far as the the price on the market there. Um, still a low probability event that we only see happening one out of four times, but uh, that could still happen. And then as far as the total, um, the market is sitting around eight, 48 and a half. We've got this a little bit under at 46. Um, and looking at that 48 and a half number, we expect it to stay under 49, uh, about almost 58% of the time at 57. And a half percent of our simulations, this one stays under 49 points. Um, so, looking at the, the the public money too, the betting markets, 71% of the bets are on Green Bay, but 51% of the money is on Detroit. Um, so, looking at that, a lot of times you've you've got people like me, you know, going out there, just your casual people going at bets, but but your sharps, your your experts out there that are getting on it, especially here the night, the day of, kind of closing in. And I've had that shift that that they've got a little bit more money on Detroit, so the market. The, the meaningful bets could be a little bit more, looks like our just slightly on Detroit over Green Bay in this one.
0: Yeah, our Football Outsiders picks also take uh, Detroit uh, in this one. We have Green Bay with the projected line of something like 10. Uh, so a little bit more than what the edge simulation has, but the same idea that Detroit's got a good chance to cover this one. And like I said, with Green Bay's pass rush being really hurt, this seems like the kind of, game where green bay takes a lead detroit goes chasing it green bay can't rush the passer detroit gets more yards than you expect they backdoor cover at the end that just seems like a good storyline for this game i think yep i agree um so uh one other thing i want to talk about which is uh i should talk about the game that i mostly watched yesterday Uh, I watched the Patriots and Jets. I also watched the Chargers and Cowboys uh, where my feeling is, gee, we didn't think that Justin Herbert's third down success was going to be able to, you know, was not sustainable. And then it turned out that Justin Herbert's third down success from week one was in fact not sustainable. And Micah Parsons makes a really nice pass rusher. That's my other thought, I guess, about watching Dallas and the Chargers. There was one point also early in the game where I think the Cowboys were doing drives that were like nothing but uh, runs over right tackle. Like all the blocking was by the right tackle, Terrence Steele, and the right guard, Zach Martin. So uh, kudos to them for a great game. The Patriots and Jets, I have to say as a Patriots fan, I'm almost more frustrated by this big win than I was by the tight loss from the first week. Mm -hmm um matthews one by the way says the chargers got screwed by refs bad at the end with two touchdowns called back and some other phantom big calls but their backup right tackle got roasted by micah parsons yeah parsons had a really good game i'm trying to remember the the touchdowns from the end of the game uh one of them i think i remember was a little bit of a phantom call but the other one i don't think was really they had a the short the, the short pass to, to cook uh, that was called by on an Ill- illegal shift penalty but you, you know most illegal shift penalties are not BS they're just dumb. It's dumb that you did that like you shouldn't have done it uh, but usually they're called correctly um, the Patriots and Jets game I just feel like they Mac Jones average depth of target was like four yards. They've got to stretch the field with their receivers. Like they've got to, they've got to get out the receivers to go deeper. They've got to throw the ball deeper. I realize he's a rookie and you're controlling things for him. And maybe against the Jets, you don't have to do that. But I just feel like they can't keep running a they can't keep running a, an offense with no deep pass routes. And that's frustrating for me. But and Mac Jones is good. He did not look as good as he did the first week.
1: And James White had, uh, I think, what was his first, or like his third rushing touchdown of his career, or something. I saw he scored his first rushing touchdown. Yes, he's usually catching passes. A lot of rushing got, touchdowns. Yeah, he's got three in the last three, four, year, whatever it is. I forget the tweet and the stat that I saw, but it was was interesting to see that not coming on a on a reception for him.
0: Zach Wilson with a very strong loser league day ended up at one point that Zach, Zach Wilson had minus six points, but he ended up with four points. He got a lot of garbage
1: time yardage in that game. So I did pick him for loser league this week. Went with him and Matt Ryan. I was expecting the bucks to, to shut him down, but he didn't, Ryan actually ended up having a decent game. Yeah.
0: Unfortunately what you, you know, if you're playing regular fantasy, you get, um, If you're playing regular fantasy, you get six points plus the two for the interception. So you get eight points for the pick sixes. Mm -hmm. But if you're Matt Ryan, you don't get minus eight points for the pick sixes. Mm -hmm. And Matthias 01 is absolutely correct. Any rookie quarterback against Bill Belichick is major fodder for the loser league. In fact, I believe that is the subject. Of Brian Knowles' loser league article this week is going to be about the rookie quarterbacks against Belichick
1: because and that was my exactly my thinking going into it. So yeah. Hopefully it's like streaming streaming defenses and regular fantasy. Whoever's playing last year the Jaguars, even this year could be could be the Jaguars. Whoever's just playing that worst team in the league. It's
0: but also it's the the Jets, I think the Jets offense is gonna struggle all year, but also it's just Belichick Games plans these rookie quarterbacks really well. And I'm trying to think. Like he he won't play another. Who? What other rookie quarterbacks? He may play Davis Mills, because mm-hmm. depending on what happens with Houston, he may play Jacob Eason. Depending on what happens with Carson Wentz's injury. Um, but Eason's not a rookie. I guess technically he's a second year quarterback. They'll face Tua one more time. Although if Tua's is injured, it'll be Jacoby Brissett. That'll be interesting to see Brissett That's go right, back and the
1: Patriots. Yeah, That's I was trying to think of who it was that came in for him yesterday. I forgot Brissett was was down there, but I remembered seeing it.
0: But the NFC South, there's no rookie quarterbacks. Um, and Dallas, of course, they play. That's not a rookie. So I don't – it's possible that Belichick does not play another rookie quarterback again this year, depending on what happened with injuries. All right, we're, we're actually going to wrap things up a little early because uh, we've sort of come to the end of yeah. our – of our of our day of what we were going to talk about. So I'm going to wrap mm-hmm. things up a little early here. Scroll uh, on through. Yeah. Be sure everybody to check out footballoutsiders.com and edge sports.com. Uh, and their analysis from week two. Download the Edge Sports app to get your betting preview for Monday Night Football and every matchup this season. Footballoutsiders.com. You definitely want to read walk through. Now that we're hosting Mike Tanyer's Monday morning recaps every week, you want to read the Risky Business column about Baltimore and Kansas City. Audibles goes over all the crazy wins. We'll have one foot in bounds later today with the uh, college football review from the weekend from Parker Fleming. Um, tune in tomorrow, 1 p.m. Again, we're going to be doing now. Uh, every weekday, 1 p.m. on Twitch. So tomorrow, Scott Brad, and Derek Klassen discussing players to target on the waiver wire for your fantasy football teams. And Wednesday is the Ask Me Anything show with some combination that includes me and Mike Tannier and who knows who else. You can find this show on Football Outsiders YouTube and on the Football Outsiders podcast network. Please do remember to rate us on the podcast network so that we more people will find the show. And if you want to interact with us live, you do have to come to the live streams. That is where the actual live discussion is. Thank you to Matthews one loving the everyday schedule. We're digging it. And, uh, we just have to uh, get used to doing every day. It's a new thing for us, but we feel like there's always plenty of football to talk about. So it's not like we're ever going to run about uh, run around, uh, run out of stuff to talk about.
1: We got an extra week this year too. So
0: and I, I'm a professional. You can tell from the way that I completely nailed that last line. Uh, thanks to Ian for coming on today. He'll join us again next Monday. We'll talk next week. And uh, I'll be talking to all of you again, Wednesday at 1 PM on Twitch. So everybody have a good day and enjoy Monday Night Football. May whichever team you bet on win. And may Marquez Valdez-Scantling go over 37 and a half yards to make me 4-0 for the week in my ESPN best bets, because that would be awesome.
1: And may everyone bet on the Packers so that the Packers win. Go Pack Go. (laughs) Yes, sir.